the simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Mark Florka. With 45 years of industry experience, Mark knows the ins and outs of baking. He is Bakerpedia's community forum manager and baking instructor. He's here to share knowledge and help you grow connections. You're listening to the Baked in Science podcast. Hello, bakers. Welcome to Baked in Science. I'm your host, Mark Florka. We have chemical leavening. There's so much information and engaging conversations. We've had to split this into two episodes. So first up, we have a conversation with April Welch, R&D manager and certified culinary scientist with Nutriati, and her colleague, culinary scientist Laurie Borden. This is an engaging conversation, and look forward to part two with ICL food ingredients. Enjoy. Welcome everybody to Baked in Science, talking about chemical leavening here with Laurie and April. Ladies, thank you very much for coming on. And uh, would you introduce yourselves uh, to the audience and tell us a little bit about uh, how you got here and the company you work for and so on? Thanks for having us. I am a huge fan of the podcast. I think I told you um, I've been listening to it for probably three years now. Wow. So thank you. It's very exciting uh, to be talking to you today. Um, so a little bit about myself. I'm April Welsh. Um, I've always known I wanted to make a career out of food because it's always just been the most fascinating and exciting thing to me. Um, and obviously I love to eat. So I graduated from the University of Akron in Akron, Ohio. Um, and at, right after college, I started out at a company developing fruit preps, primarily for yogurt applications. Um, and that was great and all, but I was really only able to experience working on a very niche type of application and I wanted to experience more. Um, so I spent a short time after that working for a probiotics company. And then I was lucky enough to find our founder, Michael Spinelli. And I started at Nutriati about three years ago now. Excellent. So I'll let Lori introduce herself and then we can get a little bit into what Nutriati is and what we do. Perfect. Yeah. Sure. So my name is Lori Borden. I'm a culinary scientist at Nutriati. I graduated from the Culinary Institute of America and I have degrees in culinary science as well as culinary arts. So I have more of a cooking experience background. So I've worked in lots of restaurants and things. Uh, my first R&D type of job was at Sabra Dipping Company. So that kind of got me into the chickpea world. And then I got this job here at Nutriati where we make lots of chickpea based ingredients. Interesting. Yeah. And so, um, April, you want to you wanna share with us a little bit about Nutriati and uh, what you're all about and the products that you guys have? Yeah. Um, so we like to say Nutriati is, ingredient, is an ingredient technology company. Mm -hmm. um, so we produce plant-based proteins and functional flours. Um, we're unique as an ingredient company because of our manufacturing process. So we, we only make ingredients from chickpeas right now. We plan to roll out more in the future, um, but we de-oil our chickpeas at the beginning of our process. So without getting too far into the details, um, this enables us to create ingredients that not only taste really fantastic, um, but they're extremely functional as well. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. our, our core um, ingredients are our, 
Artessa line. Artessa is the brand name. Um, and then we have our functional chickpea flour and our chickpea protein concentrate. And, and I've had a chance uh, to um, work with those a little bit and um, in some gluten-free applications. And it is really interesting how well they function, just, just even from a uh, putting a batter together and, and baking a product. I, I would just say, you know, it's, it's different than anything else out there. And um, it is in, in a positive way, definitely in a yeah. very positive way. And uh, um, it's quite interesting uh, the way it hydrates and everything is, is uh, I think it's really cool. Um, that's, that's really cool. And, and I think are both of you are, are members of the Research Chef Association as well. Uh, I am. I'm a certified culinary scientist. Certified culinary scientist. So that's where the also the culinary stuff comes in and that. And uh, um, although I'm not certified, a big proponent uh, of the organization, I have been involved for, oh, gosh, now, I think maybe 15 years, something like wow. that. Um, uh, at, uh, and it's a great, great organization uh, and great people uh, to to network with and stuff as well. Now, where we wanted to talk about uh, chemical leavening, and um, of course, you know, most things that people think of right away is to make a cake rise. Um, but um, you know, I wanted to see if you could share with me if you've seen or if you you are you know if you can share with us other areas that we use the chemical leavening for that is not necessarily as obvious as giving just making the cake rise what what other things from a food scientist developer's point of view um do you kind of also see that the leavening i guess contributes is probably what i should say sure so for us because we're using our functional chickpea flour as the main ingredient in almost all of our work everything we do for the most part is gluten-free so we're often use often using the chemical leavener in conjunction with yeast, um, mm-hmm. whereas in typical yeast leaven products you would not use a chemical leavener because in gluten free bacon we don't have the gluten bonds to trap the carbon dioxide that we're creating with our leavener. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have to make sure that we're thinking about other ways to keep the gas from escaping our beautiful creations to get that additional push to sort of complement the, the yeast in that sense. Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you used it much in cookies? Uh, have you seen, what, what do you see? Uh, I've, I've always loved when I did this little experiment with the uh, food scientist students at when I was at ADM. Um, but um, I have, when you use it in cookies, what are, what are some of the things that you look for the leavening to do for you in the cookies? Um, we're looking for it to give us some loft, but obviously you can go overboard with leavening. Mm-hmm. Um, and cookies are more forgiving because they're a, a low moisture system. Um, so I'd say typically with cookies, we we start small and then increase if we need to. And it's it's also part of a way to to get that cracking in some of the chocolate chip cookies, is it not? Yes. Sort of, you know, if you get with a little bit faster reaction. And it's interesting. Um, I find that how much color the the, the sodium provides as yep. well, um, and that it's it's kind of interesting. And uh, um, I, I used to do this little experiment, as I mentioned, with um, we'd get uh, food science students would uh, tour the labs where I worked at ADM um, in the fall, usually, and. Uh, 
Uh, part of that was uh, in terms of showing them, I guess you could say food science in action, right? Because these were usually first year students. And uh, we would have them make up uh, cookies. I'd have them in different groups doing different leveling levels so that they could see the, uh, there's very little difference you see in the dough, if any at all, right? And, but then once they bake, um, if you just take out the soda, for example, and are left only with the the leavening acid, that you have completely different results from yeah. those that have only soda and uh, no leavening acid and so on. Um, and, um, you know, it, it helps with the spread and things like that, too. Yeah. Uh, are, are there any tools that you use in helping you check your leavening system after the products are baked or during the batter or things like that? I mean, um, there's there's one that I'm familiar with from the milling industry, which I'll I'll share on as well, that maybe it might be new for you. It might be a new tool for your toolbox. We'll see. Great. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'm, do, I'm interested in you sharing us a little bit about some of the other tools that you guys might use in terms of looking at your results and like what you know, how do you check if you think that you have enough or you're, you're balanced or things like that? Um, we mostly go off visual cues. I would say like if, okay. if we, we have a product, um, like if we're baking a bread, for example, you know, typically you wouldn't use a leavening agent, a chemical leavening agent in a bread. Um, we will usually use a yeast and baking powder. Mm -hmm. Um, but if we pull that bread out of the oven and the top of it's collapsed, then we know we might've put too much leavening agent in there uh -huh. and it hold yep. on to all of the air. Mm -hmm. Um, something else we look for like in cakes, for example. Um, and this, this has to do with oven temperature and time as well. But if we see that uh, the crumb structure isn't really even throughout the cake, you know, you have big bubbles at the top, but then small, like a, a gummy layer sometimes we'll get at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Um, then we know, okay, there, we might have used too much as well. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Have you ever seen, um, and I've only seen this once, um, but have you ever seen when the crumb turns brown? No, I haven't actually seen that before. Uh, and I've, I've seen it once and um, it was oddly enough, it was, it had one to do with that. There was um, excessive leavening. So it was partly a, a, a Maillard reaction, but the, the Maillard reaction was being pushed by um, the amount of, it was allulose that was being used. Mm. And it was a high level of allulose combined with a high level of leavening that actually turned the crumb, not the entire crumb, but mostly, you know, towards the bottom where the bottom heat rose up. Sure. It looked like a gradient fill, right? Wow. You know, from, it was like going from brown to, to like a, an orangey color uh, gradient. And so that was, that was also like an excessive leavening reaction together with other chemicals. And in, in that case, it was, it was with allulose. It was really interesting. Huh. Um, and um, so have you, have you, do you ever uh, use pH meters to, to check your batter at all or things like that? Is it something that you find is of, of concern or interest to you at times? We, I know that um, too much leavening agent can affect the pH of your batter, but we, we haven't had an issue with it so far. So we, mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I know that in some in some production situations they they go by pH to to try and um, check that the batter has the right 
components in it. In the end, sure. you still don't know until the cake has baked, but it's sort of, I guess it's to, to check that you don't have too much acid more, mostly more than anything else. Right. Right. You know, having said that is that when you use, like, do you use mostly baking powder? Is that what you, you're, you're most comfortable with using most of the time, or do you get into the, the components of the leavening, like the different, uh, leavening acids and, and the, uh, and the, the sodium carb bicarbonate? We use mostly baking powder. Every once in a while, you, we'll use baking soda and cream of tartar. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd say 99% of the time, we use a, a commercial baking powder. And so um, share with us a little bit about one of those that, that, I guess, the main difference between if you're using a baking powder, which, we, of course, we all know is double-acting baking powder. Right. Um or like as you just mentioned, using a cream of tartar and um, and and baking soda. So what what kind of reactions do we expect with with those differences? With baking powder, I expect it to start reacting once we add a liquid to the dough. So you'll start to see the bubbles form right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you get most of the reaction there. And then once you put your product into the oven. Um, and apply heat to it, then you'll see the rest of the reaction. Mm-hmm. With baking soda, sometimes we use cream of tartar. Like I said, sometimes if we have an acid in our in our product, like a vinegar or um, a maple syrup, something like that, um, then I'll leave the baking or the cream of tartar out. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm glad you mentioned maple syrup because that's the kind of leads me into like when you're using baking powders or even when you're just using baking soda, you know, what are the other things you got to look at in your formula? I mean, where, you know, are there, are there other sources of acid, right? I mean, um, so maple syrup is one that you mentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. Have you come across others that people maybe don't consider or that, you know, that you have always had in your mind and, and maybe the average developer doesn't always look for? Uh, so honey is one that I learned about mm-hmm. um, only a couple of years ago yeah. as a, as a source of acid and then baking or, and then brown sugar. Uh, yep. Exactly. Yeah. Brown sugar is the big one that I've, I've run into with customers a lot <laughs> over the years is like, yeah, well, you know, it's like you, you got so much brown sugar in there. You need to back off on the baking powder and put some soda in instead. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And so that, that's all, that's all about kind of balancing it. Um, and, uh, I'll, I'll kind of come around in a circle a bit here is, is a little tool that, um, I, um, I, I kind of tend to say I grew up with because, um, my, uh, I mean, I, I was in the industry already, uh, quite a long time, uh, because I started young, uh, when I started my product development type journey, uh, working in technical support and the group I worked with was in the milling industry. And one of the things that is used in the in the flour milling industry is there are um, there's a lot of quick quality tests that they do that don't involve expensive instrument instruments for things that are quickly on the go. Um, uh, like in in Canada, um, a lot the flour is uh, especially the bread flour is uh, usually dosed with ascorbic acid for oxidation, and um, so to do a quick test on that, they uh, there's a reagent that they mix with the flour, 
and um, and then they they look at it in like a circle and they they count the dots of reaction and if there's enough dots and not too many then the flower's got the right amount of ascorbic fed in um, so they're pretty you know simple uh, not not very accurate but at least you know a simple quick test and when it comes to a self rising flower which talking about chemical leavening that's essentially the flour where for especially for home users where the baking powder is mixed in already right right um uh, or uh, corn muffin mixes have a, a self-rising flour type uh, aspect to them as well mm-hmm. and in that industry they use what um used to be called a stofer um that company was sold to um Innofos, and uh, now it's it's just called a leavening indicator, um, and it's it's kind of cool in that um, and and it's 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 a I don't remember what the actual reagent is, um, but I even saw a a kid on a on a nightly talk show use something similar in a in a a, a demonstration, and the reagent changes color with pH. And so that when the pH is is balanced, um, then it you know like around uh, five to seven in that range, it is orange, and the more acidic it gets, it turns yellow. So as you get down to like a pH of four, you have it, it it's it's bright yellow, and if you go up to higher uh, alkaline areas, um, like if you get up to eight and so on, like where you're really high soda, then it turns uh, magenta. So the fuchsia goes from orange red to red, uh, fuchsia, magenta sort of colors. Um, And then if it's like battery acid, it turns purple, right? Um, (laughs) uh, And uh, um, which battery acid is actually really stupid because it's alkaline, it's not acid. (laughs) And so um, that is really interesting because um, it's sold as a concentrate and you just dilute it with distilled water, uh, like in a nine to one solution. And you just like with a cookie, you would put a few drops on the crumb or something and you can see right away, did the cookie not spread because it's it's missing the soda, for example, sure. right? or if your cake is uh, not balanced, right? Um, and like we, one of the hardest ones I remember uh, using this for is in chocolate cake because, of course, well, it's dark brown. Um, how can you see the color? And right. so we would have to use a white piece of um, untreated paper towel to to uh, tap it afterwards after we ah. applied it to the uh, the cake to kind of see what would come onto the towel and there we were looking for something in the the red orange to fuchsia range because what we were trying to do was we were trying to alkalize the cocoa powder in the cake with using the baking soda so that it would make it a deeper brown and we wanted to make sure we had enough excess soda there that it was you know that the the phosphate was was all um exhausted and that yeah. with that the soda was was helping get the chocolate cake brown and so wow. uh, that's another trick with that is that is not uh, where the, the chemicals are used not necessarily for leavening is where we we use soda for uh helping to alkalize things to make them to change their color in that sense sure. that with, with chocolate cake to help make it a, a darker brown um and you know it's like uh, and like you said with honey 
and maple syrup, uh, molasses, right? And uh, yeah. um, anybody ever made a lemon poppy seed cake and and not changed? <laughs> Sometimes it's so obvious, right? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, have you have you ever used um, uh, like the components in like you and ref- referring to? Uh, charts like that that show the the rate of reaction and things like that and um uh, have you ever seen those types of things and and how they're used are you referring to neutralizing value yeah neutralizing value rate of reaction that type yeah. of stuff yeah um i'm familiar with it but i have not used them okay. in my work yeah i mean i know that for like there's some that are used in baking powder it's uh the what people call the saps yeah um, sodium acid pyrophosphate and the they have different numbers and they somehow relate to the 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 neutralizing value uh, which is the uh, how much of the soda it neutralizes yeah um and or the rate of reaction which is how quickly it it starts to produce gas because like their sap 40 is the the highest number i've ever seen which is kind of one of the fastest ones and then there's like I think SAP twenty is one of the slowest ones, right? Um, and uh, and there's there's companies that that focus specifically on the different phosphates uh, for the meat industry for different reasons, um, but also then they also for the baking industry and stuff like that, right? Um, and so uh, you know, having thought of that. How do you adjust then in uh, when you're, is it, is it mostly, do you find it's mostly a trial and error situation um, with say with, you know, when you're using honey or syrup, let's say you want to swap out sucrose for, for honey and agava, let's say, right. Um, To kind of get a a cleaner label in that respect where, where, you know, all of a sudden sugar has become the bad guy. Right. Um, And uh, so is there, is there a, um, and a, a ratio that you've discovered, or is, is it mostly a trial and error situation that you need to try it the way it is, see how much overkill it is, and then kind of estimate from there how to back off? Uh, that's exactly it. So I, I really, I haven't discovered a, a perfect ratio. Um, it's more trial and error, and then we'll back off in percentages mm-hmm. as needed or increase. And so, and when you, when you back off or increase, um, do you what 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 philosophy? Everybody is a little bit different, um, and and I'm not trying to put you on the spot here or anything. <laughs> I'm I'm curious myself because I have my way of of like I I like to kind of I'm I'm a little bit of the old school of a go big or go home kind of right. <laughs> um, it's like I want to see a difference or there ain't no difference right. Yeah. Um, or or do you like to you know, set up 10 experiments that are all, you know, 0.1 variation <laughs> across each one. And, um, what, what do you feel for you with your experience that works best for you? What what type of thing? And uh, and, that, and that's for you. It's not, not yeah. that, you know, that not that the world has to comply to you, but maybe you have the solution. Right? Sure. For me, I am the opposite of you. It sounds like <laughs> I like to um, go in, in smaller increments and uh-huh. make more batches. Um, mm-hmm. so I can, so I have more of a precise understanding of, of where that line is Okay, that I need to be at. 
Yeah, I usually take the same approach where I'll start kind of like moderately and then kind of see where I'm at and then judge from there, like by the crumb structure, the doming, like that sort of thing. Uh Yeah, good. Oh, good points. Very good points. Yes. So the point is that for people to look at bakers and product developers, that it's not just about whether or not the cake rises, is that you need to cut it open. You need to look at the crumb structure. Um, and you know whether you're getting a lot of peaking or modeling or, or things like that. The, that the what the what the you know the dome looks like. Which your your cake formula, by the way, has a really nice um, level shoulders, right? It's really Thank nicely you, balanced, right? Um, and so uh, it's uh, it it's really um, an interesting point that you know it's, it's this, and like I said, I like to sometimes if I'm going to adjust, I wouldn't take it all out, but I would say. You know, I would do something like I would cut it in half first and kind of see what does that do, right? And yeah. then, and then maybe start to move up somewhere in between there, sort of thing. Um, I think that sometimes uh, for for some of us old breakers is that there's there's a certain amount of um, expectation from experience, and then trying to see whether the the result matches your expectation and trying to figure out from there and and sure. um i guess to me i feel like it saves me time that but that's but that's and, and i always say i do that because i've it, i do it with certain things where i have the experience with it if it's a product that i'm less experienced with i would do the exact same thing you are doing i would go little by little and learn from each reaction first and and i always say adjust one thing Try not try to resist adjusting two or three, because then you don't know which ones have really had the most effect, right? Because right. because if you if you um, if you lower the baking powder, increase the baking soda, and increase the maple syrup, well, what caused the reaction? Now? Right. Very <laughs> tempting to adjust multiple variables, but you yeah. have to hold back sometimes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause we're also thinking about, um, baking time and temperature too. Mm-hmm. Um, very much. Yeah. And I think sometimes the hardest part for Lori and I is just waiting for our items to cool before cutting them open and devouring them too. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and speaking of, of cutting them open and, and crumb, um, I wanted to, I mean, you guys are not in the mix business as far as, uh, bakery mixes, but, um, you know, when you make your blends, um, you know, sometimes we use fats and oils and, and combining the ingredients together and then mixing them all up. And of course, it's always important that we get a nice smooth batter and things like that, but stuff happens sometimes, right. Yes. And, or sometimes you don't, the lumps are not on the surface, so you don't see them. Right. Have you ever seen in cakes, um, a, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about the phenomenon that I've heard in, uh, when I was in the, the bakery mix uh, side of the business called tunneling. Um, whereas when you, uh, when you cut the cake open that you have big holes in the crumb that appear to, go like a tunnel through the cake and up to the top. Have you ever seen that sort of thing? We've definitely seen that in cakes and um, muffins, I feel like too, right, Lori? Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, I would see, yeah, muffins, this happens a lot. Yep, absolutely. And uh, and do you, you you obviously must know what the, the, the some of the source of that was. Um, I usually attribute it to maybe us over mixing the batter, getting too much air in there. 
that's a big that that can definitely be part of it um where it happens a lot in the mixing industry um and just wanted to bring this one in from my experience is that uh in the in the bakery mix industry they use a lot of high saturated fat shortenings like shortenings that are pretty firm and if that shortening is not tempered properly like if it's not allowed to warm up to room temperature before before mixing into the dry mix sure but what happens is that it it forms little lumps and the what what can happen sometimes is that these little lumps get coated with a blend of of not just flour but also the leavening system like the baking powder right okay and um and if the baker is using like especially up here in cold canada right um and if the baker is using cold water to make his cake mix and doesn't get the the lumps melted out or mixed out um what happens is during the bake that little shortening lump starts to melt as it gets hot and then the baking soda that is wrapped around it isn't fully dissolved in the mix and now starts reacting and so like a little worm eating its way through the cake it actually tunnels a hole through the cake so you'll see a, a multiples of these and as you pointed out you'll often see this in muffins because the muffin batters tend to be a little bit thicker than cake batters right um and so then it'll it'll look like holes that shot straight up right um and it's it's really bizarre looking and um it it's a relatively simple problem in that the the fat wasn't fully blended in or you you didn't like we said earlier is that you want to have a smooth batter so that you get those lumps out um so that you you won't get that tunneling type effect right um definitely. uh and so it's it's a it's definitely a combination of uh it, it could be overmixing as well like you're saying where you you trap air pockets that then these especially when you're in some of the gluten free things uh we're using xanthan gums yeah and um and sometimes the xanthan um under all the shear it likes to create these little bubbles, just like as if you were, were blowing a bubble with bubble gum, kind of, right? Um, and then they th th that bubble then, of course, expands with the heat and gives you those those pops and stuff, right? Exactly. Um, that's cool. So yeah, so we we've, we've had a lot of similar experiences in that sense. Even though, see, you you're catching up to me really quick. Right? So <laughs> um, that's that's always great to see, right? Um, and um, yeah, so we talked a little bit about components, um, and uh, and have, so you've used most as far as the components go. Your main go-to is is cream of tartar, correct? Um, yes. You haven't used the the phosphates that much on that end of things, right? No, not really. No. Yeah, and uh, cream of tartar is um, interesting one to me. It's uh, it was first. I mean, nowadays it's it's manufactured. Uh, synthetically they say um it was uh, something that um used to be the essentially it's the tartaric acid that would form on the inside of wine barrels um and um so and, and it's interesting because uh, i grew up in germany and trained in germany and the german names for some of these things are so old and uh they they're not the the, the chemical names or things like that like for cream of tartar it's a Weintraubensäure, which means wine. A Traube means like a teardrop. So, so a grape is called a wine teardrop, right? Uh, a wine teardrop berry, so to speak. So, it's 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 grape acid is what it what it means. Uh, wine grape acid is what it means in English, right? Um, 
And uh, similarly, another uh, chemical leavener that we don't use as much today is ammonium carbonate. And uh, have you ever used that much at all? Um, I haven't, no. No, it's it's used primarily in very flat goods, um, things that are uh, thin, because it does produce ammonium gas, which is kind of awful smelling. And so if you were to use it in a cake, then the cake would smell like ammonia, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, so it's used often in, in cookie type situations when it is still used. Um, and um, it reacts very quickly. And um, it was originally made from the, uh, the antlers of deer. Um, it was ground up uh, antler salt, right? Wow. Um, and uh, so in, in German, it's actually called Hirschhornsalz, which is uh, Hirsch is deer or, or stag, uh, stag, right? Um, and horn is horn and salz is salt, right? So, um, and uh, that's where it, it originally came from. But yeah, it's used in very few specialty items uh, for a quick reaction up front um because it, it reacts with moisture right away and continues to re- and it doesn't need any acid it reacts on its own right um oh. and um it is uh, there's a chinese um specialty uh, uh thing um it's like a deep fried bread um and it's served with uh, if you if you've ever had congee, which is like a Chinese rice porridge, it's usually served with that. They're they're long sticks, maybe about uh, 10, 12 inches long, and they're really hollow inside. And at first, you know, as a as a chef from you know a Western cook or baker and stuff, you might think it looks almost like shoe paste because it's so open inside, so hollow. And but it is a a, a relatively soft, uh, almost like a bread dough. And they use ammonium for the leavening, and it provides a very, I'll say, unique flavor. Um, it's actually it's good, but it's like at first it's like, what is this, right? And uh, but it, it because it, it it reacts so quickly, it puffs up in the fryer really good, right? Um, and uh, so that's just a little tidbit there. Right? Um, <laughs> I think that's that's about all I have to to chat about today. Was there anything you wanted to add that maybe we haven't covered, or anything you wanted to share about Artessa or Nutriati that uh, maybe uh, in relation to this, or that just you wanted to share? Um, no, I think we covered a lot. I loved all your insights about yeah. different ingredients. Oh, thank you. No, I wanted to be, you know, I, I enjoy having the conversation and getting your feedback and, and, uh, um, and trying to see also the other things, as I said, you have different approaches and, and, um, you know, I'm just because I'm old doesn't mean I can't learn. Right. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, as you said to our flour is an incredibly unique ingredient. Um, so, I, think, I, I like how white it is. Um, yeah. It's it's not like other chickpea flowers. Um, it's nice and light in color. Um, the the batter gets a little bit of a, a yellow tone to it, but you know, especially if you're doing vegan or things like that, it's it kind of looks like egg, right? right. Um, more so than uh, traditional chickpea does, right? Um, yeah. Because it is is sort of a bright yellow kind of right, um, and um, Compared to like pre-gelled heat treated flowers and things like that, it doesn't absorb the water too fast or too much. Um, I really like that about it. Um, So it is definitely an interesting product. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're lucky to work with it. When I first started, I I really didn't have um, much experience in gluten-free baking. And Bakerpedia has actually helped me a lot over the years as a resource because there's not many resources out there uh, with information on gluten-free baking. My thanks to April Welch and Laurie Borden of Nutriati, and thank you all very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversations, and it'll keep bringing you back for more. Please do let us know how we are doing and share feedback and suggestions on topics you are interested to learn more about. Look for part two on chemical leavening coming soon with ICL Foods. Join us in the Bakerpedia forum on bakerpedia.com for discussions, questions, answers, and innovations. Happy baking, everyone!